All right, great show for you guys today. I've got Chris Murphy from the Action Network on. As we try and parse through this, we'll say weak field at the Palmetto Championship. I do love weeks like this because I think it actually really rewards the people that are willing to do the legwork and dig into the numbers. A lot of the books, they can get kind of lazy and just have no idea with what to do with a lot of these guys. And you can really take advantage of that in that sense. So me and Chris get into a lot of players in this episode that I don't usually get to talk about, but I think are really going to have a good week. Before we get into that, I want to tell you guys about BetUS. BetUS is an online legal sports book in all 50 states, and you can use promo code PICKTHEPUP, that's promo code PICKTHEPUP, to receive a 125% bonus on your first deposit. That is BetUS.com and promo code PICKTHEPUP. No spaces. Let's get to the show. All right. I've got Chris Murphy on the line here from the Action Network. How's it going, man? Good. Doing well. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So I appreciate you joining me for such a crapshoot of a tournament. I guess we should start here, man. And I, I, I was getting into this a little bit with uh, with Rob Bolton on Twitter last night, and, and he works for the tour. So I know where he's going to stand. But we have such a terrible field this week, and it's getting worse by the second. I was just joking with you about how I went to go hit some golf balls this afternoon, and I was worried that more people had dropped out by the time I got back. And the tour has no one to blame but themselves for this issue, in my opinion. And let's put the fact that this tournament is on the complete opposite side of the country. Like, let's table that. We can just completely table that. Like, I I get that point. That's not even what I'm talking about. What grinds my gears, man, is that they scheduled this course, which is awesome, by the way. Like, it's, it's, It's incredible and it deserves better. They scheduled this course with no rough, these expansive giant waste bunkers literally straight out of the Australian outback. And they're telling players, hey, go play this course. It's going to be great. This is going to be a great tune-up for Tory. The shots that you are going to have to hit at Tory, uh, which my guess will have the thickest rough that we've seen all year on tour, are going to be so different from literally any shot that you would ever have to hit especially around the green at Congaree. I think the differences will be the most pronounced around the greens. It's so stupid to me that they would do this. And what frustrates me the most is like, you know how the Houston Open the week before the Masters, like they actually make a concerted effort to set that place up like Augusta. I'm not saying it's a perfect comp, but at least they try and give players like a nice tune-up. And guess what, Chris? Guys, play it. Guys, play that week. Dustin plays that week. Brooks plays that week. Phil always plays that week. Hideki plays that week. Hatton plays that week. Guess what? There are a lot of really good players, like really elite players that actually like playing the week before a major. So I think they totally botched this one. And now I have to go bet Ben Martin. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. My, my biggest issue is, yeah, I mean, I know it's, it's a three-month lead up. They had to cancel, you know, last minute. Had to find a place to play. But you can't tell me there isn't, a place anywhere on the other half of the country that could have supported this tournament, you know, and, and the setup of it and trying to get it to match Tory, you know, that's one thing, but, you know, when guys are, are considering whether they're going to play the week before a major and they consider they have to go to South Carolina and, and play down there, then fly across the country, it's just not going to happen. They're, they're not going, they're going to opt to, you know, work on their games, maybe, maybe go to Tory early and check out the course there. That's my biggest thing is there's there's no way there wasn't somewhere else that could have supported this. 
made it a little bit more logistical where you don't have to, you know, we got half the field from Memorial that's playing in Ohio. Um, some of them are supposed to come to South Carolina. If they qualify, I, I think we see more of, of the withdrawals that we've already seen today um, as they go through the, the qualifiers for the US Open. It's just going to get worse and worse as, as it goes. But, you know, it is what it is. I think you're right. The star of the show this week is really going to be this course. It's an awesome looking course. And uh, that's that's really what I'm looking forward to. And, and hopefully we can, can find some golfers that can handle it too. Yeah, I don't want to get it like, I just think Congaree deserves better, man. I'm so excited for this course. All the research that I've done, everything I've heard about it, I think it's going to be awesome on TV. I hope that it's in the rotation for like years to come. Yeah. I just I just wish that we were, I mean, like these guys are going from like Bermuda to Poa. Like I just, I don't, Anyway, man, it's uh, it, it frustrates me, but uh, we've already played that one out. Let's get into a little bit about the course, and I've already done a pretty extensive deep dive on it already on my Sunday yeah. pod, so, so I'll just kick it to you, man. To me, it really just seems like a combination of Pinehurst, Shadow Creek, and Royal Melbourne would be the yep. best way that I would describe it, but what comes to mind for you when thinking of Congaree? Yeah, exactly. When I pulled it up, first thing that I thought of was Pinehurst number two, just the, the waste bunkers, um, the way that it kind of kind of rolls through the course. Obviously, you don't have, you know, the the undulations and the, um, you know, kind of turtleback greens of, of Pinehurst. I think it's a little flatter than that. But that was the first thing that came to mind for me was was really the Pinehurst layout and, and how it mirrors that aspect of it. Um, I think it's, you know, obviously the, the biggest thing is the length, you know, that's, that stands up from a scorecard standpoint. I think they took one of the par fives, dropped it down to, to a par four. So you've got, you know, a, I think it's three or four that are playing over 500 yards, par fours, playing to a par 71, which makes it the longest par 71 on tour. Um, so that stands out, but it's, it's made to play firm and fast to give you those, those run-ups to give you, you know, the, the Texas wedge in hand around the greens, everything like that. I, I think the challenge this week is to try not to put too much into the length. Cause I think, you know, ultimately if the weather doesn't have too much say in it, it's, it's going to play shorter than the number off the tee, but it's, it's going to be one where, you know, they're going to be able to get away with some stuff off the tee, go into some large greens and, you know, sometimes it turns into a punting contest or if it's firm and fast, you know, it, it's going to be uh, a real challenge around the greens too. So I, I'm excited to see it, see it play out. Um, you know, you, you got a lot of long carries and, and things of that nature, but it's always fun to get a new course, get, get something else um, in sight. And, you know, similar to your, from your pod last week, you know, it's one of the top courses in, in the nation and being able to get that um, on this stage and, and have a couple of the top, 15 or, or so players playing it. It's going to be fun to see for four days. I completely agree with you on the distance thing. Like the tour never, I mean, they rarely set up, like you see 7,685 yards on the scorecard, but the tour, they do a bunch of weird things with the tee boxes. Like the same thing happened at the ocean course where everyone made a giant, giant deal about the length. And then each day, not only because of the firm and fast conditions, but also they love doing weird things with the tee boxes and making some of the par fours drivable and making some of the par fives. They like putting the tee boxes up on that. Like there's a par five that's 645 yards or something. I'd be absolutely shocked if it played that long that day. I mean, every single day. Um, I think it'll probably play that long 
at least one day. And, you know, they have so many options with this course um, from what I've heard. So I'm kind of, I haven't really decided where I landed on how difficult it's going to be. Like, I think there's, that's the thing that I'm really trying to figure out right now that is really, would really help me like narrow down my, I mean, I've made some bets already and I have some guys that I have confidence in, but if you had to take a guess, what would you say the winning score is going to be this week? Because there's one school of thought that it's like, well, if they're smart, they'll at least try and make it somewhat difficult. So these guys don't go from the guys that are in this field playing in the U S open next week, they don't go from like 25 under to a USGA setup. Uh, But you know, I, I can't, I can't really figure out if this is going to be that easy or hard. Yeah. And I, I, I'm in the same boat. I've, I've actually got some plays kind of in mind that kind of play the, the middle of the road there. Um, Some guys that I really like if it, if, if it kind of goes one direction or the other, I can't figure out, Right now, I don't have a good feel. I'll be interested to see what some of the players say in interviews over the next couple of days to try to get a better feel for it. If it's you know going to be a, a a bit of a scoring fest or really stay challenging throughout, but it's really hard at this stage to really get a feel for what they're what they're expecting and, and what you know. It ultimately comes down to how firm and fast can they make it and do they want to make it. That's going to be you know the the protection where the roll off all the green off the greens take you into the waste bunkers or take you into a hazard or, you know, or, or are they going to dial it back and, and let these guys attack and, you know, potentially go low to, to kind of some softer putting, putting surfaces and things like that. So it's hard to say right now if that's a, you know, it really a 10 under or a 20 under, you know, it, it, it's really hard to say kind of where it falls on the realm of, uh, of scoring this week. I'm with you. And that's why I've kind of tried to, bet some players that I think are agnostic of difficulty where I think they could win a tournament where the winning score is six under. And I also think they could win a tournament where the winning score is 25 under. Let's get into the guys, man. So we'll do the tiers that I have here. All, all odds are courtesy of bet us use promo code, pick the pup to get 125% bonus on your first deposit with bet us. So these numbers are bet us, Chris, but as always feel free to throw out any numbers that you have gotten on these guys. Yeah, sure. Uh, 25 and below. We have Dustin Johnson at eight to one Brooks Kepka at eight to one Tyrrell Hatton at 16, Matthew Fitzpatrick at 16, Sung Jay at 20, Tommy Fleetwood at 28. Eight. Let's. Oh, and we'll throw Harris English in there at twenty-eight. We'll do uh, thirty and below. Have you completely far gone this range, or is there somebody that you have interest in here? Because I was completely about to forego it, and then I ended up betting someone here. Yeah, I um, I have no interest in in DJ or Kapka. Uh, yeah, me neither. Um, I, I typically don't go that low anyway, and it has to be just kind of the perfect storm scenario where. I'm checking all the boxes and just have no questions about a guy. Um, clearly, we've got some questions about form for DJ. Kapka is notorious for not showing up um, when it's not a major championship. I, I'm just not going that low. You know, for Fitzpatrick M and and Fleetwood, Fleetwood's that number's pretty interesting for this field. I know. My problem with those three guys is that they're ball strikers, and none of the three of them have, have had their ball striking to to be able to rely on. They've really been inconsistent, really been missing in that aspect. Um, so for me, the number that, that I'm attracted to is really Hatton at 16. Um, I've seen some 11s and 12s out there, which is just too short. 
but but you get to the mid teens, uh, mid to upper teens, I get a little more interested in Hatton. I think he can, uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier, he can fit whether it's a grind or whether it, it goes low. Um, he's got the approach play around the green is strong. You know, he's long enough on off the tee, in my opinion. I, I think, you know, this is really the type of tournament that he typically does well at. He's he's kind of the opposite of Brooks. He hasn't shown up for many majors. Um, so you get into to these fields, and these are a lot of times the the tournaments where we see him contend and see him give himself a chance to win. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but he's the one that, that piques my interest in this range. Yeah, I'm with you. Hatton, I was close with Hatton. Hatton was probably my second favorite in this range. I ended up betting Sung JM at 20 to 1. And I'll tell you why. You are right about the ball striking with Sung Jay. But I did a little bit of a deep dive on this. And I know that the irons have been pretty bad. But I looked at all of the times that Sung Jay has lost strokes on approach and what he has done the following week. Um, so this is over the past, like, his every time that he's lost strokes approach on approach over dating back like the last eight or so months, he lost strokes on approach at Houston, came back the next week. And I don't have the master stats, but he finished second and almost won that tournament. He lost three strokes on approach at the Sony came back the next week, gained 3.1 at the Amex lost three at the API came back the next week, gained on approach at the players hemorrhage strokes at this year's masters came back the exact next week and next week and gained 3.5 at the heritage. He lost 3.6 strokes again at the Wells Fargo came back the exact next week and gained another stroke at the PGA. So every single time that Sung Jay has lost strokes on approach, he kind of flips it quickly. And what's been so interesting to me about Sung Jay, and I, this is my first time betting him in like at least six months, you know, he has been such a volatile player and I've really been just, Normally, I would see a guy losing strokes on approach, and I would be like, immediate cross off, not for me. But, you know, Sung Jay, and it kind of worked out for me a little bit with Adam Scott. Some of these guys that have these strokes gain whack a mole profile, I'm just trying to embrace more of that volatility. And the numbers really do bear it out with Sung Jay recently. Like, he really is one of those guys that flip it quickly. I tend to think of like strokes gain approach as a way more sticky stat than putting where it's a lot harder to flip it on a on a week-to-week basis. But some of these guys like Sung Jay, it, it is so hard to predict. And he he just he completely flips it so quickly. And I want to give a quick shout out to my friend uh Nagels as well, who pointed out to me today, I made a huge mistake in my Sunday pod. I said that CT Pan was the only other player in this field outside of DJ to have played in the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne. I got confused on the Wikipedia page because Sung Jay's name was in like a different color because he was a captain's pick or something. Sung Jay rolled at the President's Cup. I think Xander and Cantley are still having nightmares about that. He beat Xander and Cantley twice with like Adam Hadwin. And then he wiped the floor with the reigning U.S. Open champion, Gary Woodland, in singles. We love Sung Jay on Bermuda. I can give you yeah. a million Sung Jay Bermuda stats. And I'll tell you, Chris, here's the thing that I like the most about him. I haven't heard a peep. No one wants yeah. a piece of I haven't heard yeah. one peep. I say it's still early in the week, but, you know, the back-to-back miscuts, I haven't heard one peep at all. So I'm in. I'm betting Sung Jay M this week. 
Yeah, I mean, you can never, you know, never discourage you from from betting Sanjay on on Bermuda. It, it, he's he's always in play. He's always going to tee it up. So eventually, he'll he'll come across a uh, a Bermuda course. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I I can see it. Like you said, um, Melbourne's a good good example of that um, as far as this course fit too. So I can see it. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of the. He's just basically if he has a decent iron week, like he he can win. You know, you can't say that about a lot of these the guys that we're about to talk about. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. That that's another thing this week is trying to look at these guys as we get further down the board and and see who really has win equity. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to do it. So yeah, I think it it makes sense to to give some heavy weights to some of the guys at decent numbers up up towards the top too. So moving into the thirty to sixty range and. There's some variation here with what I've seen across a couple of bucks, sure. but you've Gareth Higo at 30 to one. I've seen him as high as 50 to one. Keith Mitchell at 33 to one. Pat, Pat and Kazire at 33 to one. Alex Noren at 33 to one. I've seen him as low as 28 in some places. Ian Poulter at 33. Lucas Glover at 45. Brant Snedeker at 45. Harold Varner at 50. Jonathan Vegas at 50. Ben Martin at 60, CT Pan at 60, Russell Knox at 60, Kevin Kisner at 60, and no more Danny Willett. So let's stop there. This is a big range. I actually, I have bet, oh my gosh, I have bet four guys that are in this range, but only one of them is below 60 to one. So all I bet a bunch of these guys that are, I got them at different odds at like 75 and a hundred, but I guess we'll just talk about them now. Who in this range piques your interest the most? Yeah. I, my first bet, I mean, I, I came into the week, you know, as I was kind of putting stuff together for action network last night, kind of doing my summary article, I was all ready to go on Alex Noren, ready, yeah, to, uh, ready to, to dive in, go that direction. Um, first book I looked at had him at 25 to one and I, I just simply can't, can't go there. 33 is a little closer. I, I still have interest. If I can find something in the forties, uh, I may pull the trigger, but I've, the first click I made was on Keith Mitchell. I found a 50, you know, he's similar to Sungjae. He's a Bermuda guy. This is a, um, you know, it, it's a big course where, where distance is going to be a factor to some extent and be an advantage. Um, you know, he, Wells Fargo and, and Quail Hollow aren't a perfect example, but it's, it's the same, course. it's, it's, it's a, the same champion Bermuda though at Quail correct, Hollow. Correct. Yeah. It's the same Bermuda. It's a big course, large layout. He, you know, really played fantastic for, for three days, um, and just got beat, uh, down the stretch by Rory. Um, but he's a guy that, that I have a lot of interest in. He's from the area. You know, you, you I can roll off a few, few other things from that perspective, He's fifth in my overall model, you know, in terms of, of everything that I'm looking at this week. And, and so at that number, he stood out similar from the same area. Patton Kazire was another one that I clicked on. I got a 45 on him. was pretty happy for that. He, I think, benefits the most from the fact that these fairways are so wide. Yeah. Um, he, my biggest Great concern point. with Kazire is always him spraying it off the tee and, and just having no chance to, to get back now. I say that, and he completely derailed his memorial on the first hole with a with a triple bogey, where he hacked it around the green like I would. But he's a guy that can't. He has has solid approach play. 
I think with these big greens, if they do, if they are soft, they are receptive in any way, it can become a bit of a putting contest when you get on these big putting surfaces. And he's the type of guy that on, on Bermuda with this type of layout, I like his his chance to to bounce back off of a missed cut and and to potentially put his name in contention similar to what he did a few weeks ago at Colonial. Trying not to to forget that form that he had even even when he had a bad showing the you know the prior week. I had already clicked Willett. I, I, I was in I was in on Willett at 80, was pretty excited about that, both the number and, and the opportunity, but then it, about 15 minutes later, found out that uh, he had withdrawn. So he's he's off the list. You know, another name that I came across, and and maybe you can give me more background on this guy, but he seems to have come out of nowhere for me is Ben Martin. He keeps showing up in my models and and on my list. He's he's just a guy that that seems to be producing results. Um, it's been a little bit on on Corn Ferry and and on the PGA from what I've seen. And, and so, you know, you tell me, what do you, what do you know about Ben Martin? What can you give me on him? I have bet Ben Martin, Chris, at a hundred. I bet Ben Martin at a hundred to one. I was the same with you. He just, he rates out really well for me statistically. And, you know, I'm seeing him, him here at, at 60 to one that I would have no interest, but at a hundred to one, and I'm going to play him in the top 40 market too. I, I don't yeah. know if you're big into kind of the finishing position markets as well, but I think he probably is a much more suitable play in the finishing position market than he probably is as an, as an outright, I'm going to put like a very small fraction of a unit on him as an outright, but yeah, he, he was, he popped his 11th in my model this week and you know, he's, he's trending as well, which I, I'm kind of trying to pay more attention to like, you know, missing out on Cantley last week, Cantley was fine in my model, but as soon as the tournament wraps up, I try and go back and look at my research and and see what I missed and see like why why didn't I consider Cantlay here more? Like what what was I missing here? And what I noticed with Cantlay is at the sample size that I was looking at, he was good, but you know, nowhere near as strong as a play as Xander or Finau, right. the two guys I did end up betting. But when you shrunk the sample size to like literally the last eight and 12 rounds, Cantlay popped all the way up to the top because he had that amazing PGA where I think he almost led the entire field in strokes gained ball striking. He was up there in approach. And I kind of viewed it as, you know, that's a flat, that's a little bit of a flash in the pan. Show me a little bit more, but you know, some of these guys, like when they get hot, you just want to play them. And Martin is one of those guys, like he's 11th in my model, but you know, if you keep shrinking the sample size, he becomes the ninth ranked player over the last 12 rounds. And he actually becomes the number two golfer for me over his last eight rounds. Now, I don't think that you should ever live and die by that type of stuff, but you know, he was a guy that if I can get Martin at a hundred to one and at a decent plus money price to play him in the top 40 market. I do think that he's a great bet. And I mean, the fact that you see that some places have him at like 60 to one, that was kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I agree on your overall sentiment that this week is, and as, especially as we get further down the board, you know, the top 20, top 30, top 40 markets 
are, are going to be a place to kind of pepper this tournament, in my opinion, just with, you know, some of the young names that we have, some of the guys that we've kind of been, been waiting to, to make a bit of a move. This is the type of field that they can do that. But that, that's, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that you're kind of on the same page with, with Martin, who's a name that just kind of came out of nowhere for me uh, a little bit. By the way, quick aside, you know, I know that you write the, I think the reason that I've, I found you is because you write these great buys and fades articles mid tournament. I feel like this would be a great tournament yeah. to save some bullets until mid, until, until in tournament. Is that typically your strategy from week to week where your outright card or whatever the exposure that you have is a little bit lighter because you're always knowing that you're going to add some more guys mid tournament? Yeah. And I, I've had some, some good success, um, from, from doing that this year. It, it varies tournament to tournament last week. It was a good example. I really, I just didn't like the numbers yeah. pre-tournament last week. We kind of had, you know, Rom who was way short and obviously that there was a, a really good reason for that. And then we had a bunch of guys kind of jumbled in the teens. Um, I was eyeing Finau as well and just really had trouble getting to him at, at 25 to one. Um, so yeah, that I try to stay in tune with it during the rounds and, and try to make some live bets, make some overnight bets. Um, but yeah, no, I completely agree because we're going to have some names that we don't expect that are, that come out and they're playing well and, and show it to us kind of in the first round, the books don't always make enough of an adjustment to it and you can make a good buy there. Um, I was able to get a, a decent number and with an each way on Scheffler. And that's about the only thing that I pulled out of last week. So you, you can find some opportunities to get a little bit better number, you know, even if a, a guy bogeys an early hole or, or something like that. So I've, I will be light this week on my outrights, kind of seeing how the tournament plays, seeing how some of the guys play, get a better feel for it, maybe through the first round, fire some bullets on some guys that have some opportunities to move up the board going into the second day. Is there any other guys in this range that have your attention? I've seen some, I've seen a fair amount of love so far for Ian Poulter. I think Glover is a guy that is probably going to be quite popular and because of the ambassador thing, of course, he's an ambassador to the Congaree Foundation, but he's also just playing really, really well right, right. now. For me, uh, I have actually, I bet Harold Varner at 50 to one. You know, Varner's another guy that, he, he's another player like Sungjae where you got to do the legwork a little bit with these guys because a lot of the time when they have a bad iron week, and you know, it's, it's been really interesting to me too because I, I always think of Varner as like a really public chalky play, but it seems like way more people are kind of gravitating to that Mitchell and Kazire range that you talked about. I was kind of in between a lot of these guys with like Varner and Mitchell and Kazire and Norin. And I was just kind of kind of let the numbers dictate it for me. And if you had told me that Alex Norin was 50 to one and Harold Varner was 30 to one, I could have seen that. And I would have bet Alex Noren, I think these books sometimes just really react to how these guys play on Sundays. And Noren had this awesome Sunday where he shot up the leaderboard and he was even shown on a little bit of the TV coverage and Varner kind of sucked on Sunday and, right. and finished like 50th. But this is like a embarrassingly nerdy thing to talk about here, but I did the legwork with Varner too, like Sungjae. This is that uh, I need a girlfriend, Chris. So, Varner is the same with Sungjae, where 
he he lost strokes on approach at Memorial, but he's done that nine times in the last 16 months. And the week after losing strokes on approach, Varner's gained like an average of almost 2.5 strokes on approach in his next week after losing strokes on approach. So these proven ball strikers like Sung Jay and Varner, I think people are off them right now because, and who knows, Varner, everyone loves Varner. So he can to, could end up being very popular. I just haven't heard much on him yeah. yet at the moment. But these guys like Varner and Sungjae, people look at the missed cuts and they look at a bad iron week out of them and they're like, these guys are playing really bad. These guys are more proven. You have to some of these guys that are more proven ball strikers over over a larger sample size. They actually usually flip their irons pretty quickly. DJ is a great example at the top. If you want to get really high end with it, Varner and Sungjae are kind of more middling options. But I think Varner can win this week. Like he, he's contended a lot. Like a lot of these guys, they don't even taste it. And you know, I know Varner hasn't won, and I know he's kind of sucked on Sundays, but, I mean, the dude was in the final group with Brooks at the 2019 PGA Championship. He's contended at Riviera. He's contended in FedEx Cup playoffs before. He's contended at the at the players. I just, like, I think he could win this week, and I thought he was going to be 33-1 to 1 or something like that, but, you know, at 50-1, to 1, I think he could do way worse. No, I agree. He's He actually is the top player in my model. Yeah. Um, he, he ranks out as, as the top guy I'm this week, I'm relying more on short-term form, just looking at, uh, really the way I have it run is the last two months, which gives me mostly, you know, 18 to 20 rounds for most guys. Um, you know, I just, with, with this field, I want some guys that are coming in showing some of that form, um, recently over the past couple of months, past few tournaments. Um, there's a major in there for, for a bunch of these guys. My, I, I have not bet Varner yet. I just can't quite get there. And, and part of it is, I think just seeing the number next to his name and the number that I'm used to seeing is yeah. you know, trying to get over that aspect. It's all um, jarring. He's, he's, you know, he's a bad putter, but he's actually worse on Bermuda, which is a terrifying thought from, from a person that follows the, shot link from a, a shot to shot basis for DFS standpoint. Yeah. Um, and, and sees, sees those misses, but I, I mean, I fully get it, obviously. I mean, from a stat standpoint, he's, he's that fit and you're right. I mean, a, in this field, a 50 number for a guy that really, you know, he has the upside, he's shown it, he hasn't gotten it done, but frankly, there aren't many guys that have gotten it done in here. And I'm, I'm taking some shots on, on other guys that haven't pulled through yet. It, it makes a ton of sense, and and it may be one that, that by the end of the week I end up click, clicking on to. Let's extend to the sixty to one hundred range, and we can just talk about all of these guys in a group. But yeah. you add in Martin Laird, Rafa Cabrera Bre- Bale at sixty six, Pat Perez at sixty six, Doc Redman at sixty six, Scott Stallings at seventy, Luke List at seventy five, Vincent Whaley at seventy five, Matthew Neesmith at eighty. Eric Van Ruyen at 80, Camillo at 80, Rory Sabatini at 90, Bo Hogue at 90, uh, Benny On at 100, Seamus Power at 100, Sepp Straka at 100. Any more of those guys kind of just extending into that range all the way up to 100 to 1 that have your attention? Yeah, and you know, back to to my point on HV3 is me taking a shot on, on another guy that hasn't gotten it done is Doc Redmond. 
he's he's a Clemson guy from the area, which which pains me as a Gamecock. But <laughs> you know, what I what I've really noticed with him um, is he seems to have found something putting. Yes, um, I, I've always thought of Redmond as as a ball striker, a guy that's going to get it done tee to green and then just kind of fall apart on the greens. And he's been a a staple in my fades category the last few weeks when I've been writing my articles because he's been showing such good putting form and and he's you know just over the long term isn't isn't a good putter um but he's gained nearly two strokes or more on the greens in each of his last four tournaments um that to me is you know that's enough consistency over four tournaments to show you know some signs that some things are really turning around from a putting standpoint and if he's going to put up some decent putting numbers I have more faith that the that the ball striking is going to turn around and can be elite. He's not a guy that I typically, you know, would would target for a grind type of tournament. So I, I think you know if if I'm thinking that the Redmond's going to be in contention, I'm expecting it to be kind of low scoring. But this feels like a a place and a field where a guy like Redmond can can kind of get away, similar to Kazire, get away with his off-the-tee issues with, that have been the biggest problem for him over the last few weeks and maybe put enough together to really put his name in the mix uh, over the weekend. And he's done that really um, a, a few times over the past four or five events. He's been there and, and had his name there. He just hasn't quite come through. Um, but he's a guy that I believe in the talent, that I think it's there, um, that he'll, he'll, he'll get it done at some point. And and this feels like a week that we could see something like that if you know a DJ and Kapka don't show up in full force. So if they show up in full force, you know we may be just just talking about a bunch of guys that are going to get uh, blown out of the water. But I, I think Redmond kind of fits that mold for me. Uh, I'm totally with you, man. You, you don't have to twist my arm on Doc Redmond. I I've mentioned this before, but when I was first starting my website, I started it in like October, I think, and. At the end of December, when golf was kind of in a little bit of a lull, I wrote an article where I made 10 bold-ish predictions for the upcoming year in golf. And one of my predictions was that Doc Redmond, because of that ball striking run that I'm sure you are aware of as well, kind of at the end of last summer and last fall, that Doc Redmond would win this year and finish the year in the top 30 of the OWGR. Pretty much the season that Corey Connors is having, Right. is the season that I thought Doc Redman was going to have. And, and obviously it hasn't worked out yet, but I'm still so bullish on him long-term. I think that's a great play, especially especially if you can get him close to triple digits too. Um, like 66, I don't know, but I, I think you can, if you shop around, find yeah. something closer to triple digits for Doc Redman, which I, which I love. The guy that I kind of, the guy that I was choosing between Redmond with, and I ultimately landed on this guy was I. I bet Johnny Vegas here, and I. I also bet Brant Snedeker, which we can talk about too in a second, which are kind of an interesting pair of guys to bet here. But you know, I look at someone like Johnny Vegas, and he always tends to pop in these weaker fields. It's it's almost like he can smell blood in the water, and. That's probably because I, I Johnny Vegas is a good player. Like he's been around for a while and won like three times, but. The last time we saw him on a big and wide open golf course, he finished ninth at TPC Craig Ranch. He's fourth in this entire field in strokes game ball striking on courses over 7,400 yards. He finished second in Puerto Rico in that big wide open Fazio course too. 
I'm a little squeamish about the short game, which is why I kind of promptly bet Brant Snedeker right after. But, you know, this is the thing that I run into with short games sometime on some of these courses. And, and it was the same thing at Kia where it's like Kiowa, where it's like, yes, on the surface, this is a really big short game course with chipping, but it's more so just a lag putting and sand course, right? Because if you're yeah. not in, like you don't act, if you don't want to, you don't really ever have to chip on this course. You just have to hit bunker shots and be a good lag putter, right? And that was kind of the same thing with Kiowa where it was like, you know, everyone was talking about how it's chipping, chipping, chipping. Well, you actually saw a lot of guys not chipping at all. If they were in those runoff areas, they would just putt. And Vegas is actually a really good lag putter. He's 35th in three-putt avoidance compared to 107th in strokes gain around the green and 109th in strokes gain putting. So I look at a guy like Vegas who on the surface, you get a little squeamish about his strokes gain around the green and his strokes gain putting, but he's actually pretty good out of the sand and he's a really good lag putter too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I in Vegas too. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with every, your entire sentiment there. He's, he's got the mix that you're kind of looking for this week. You know, another guy that, that kind of caught my eye in this range was Luke List. Yeah. I, I tend to go when, you know, course record holder. <laughs> oh Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. So, no, I didn't hear that. So apparently Luke Less holds the course record at Congaree. Oh, perfect. All right. There's, <laughs> there's my narrative right there. Um, no, I mean, really what I try to do a lot of times when we get these new courses is, you know, we talk a lot about how length is going to impact or, you know, what the, what the layout is really going to entail and, and highlight or uh, what's going to be the most important aspect end of the day it's really hard to do that without seeing the guys on the course having no course history so if i can lean on ball striking that's what i'll do you know we know luke Liss is a ball striker we know you know what what he can do i'm not worried about what he did in last week at the memorial where he lost strokes he was you know reeling off multiple rounds um, as we normally would uh, expect from him from a ball striking tee to green standpoint. It's always about the putter. It always is with Luke List. And you just never know when you're going to find that that round where he gains 2.7 strokes uh, on the greens like he did at Wells Fargo and finishes sixth. So if I can if I can dial it in and know that I'm going to get a certain skill set out of a player. Um, and and especially when it's ball striking when I know he's he's long off the tee. When he's on, he's a great approach player. If I can happen to find the week where Luke List rolls the ball in the hole, then then you know I, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And and 75, you know, 75 is a good number for this week for Luke List. You can um, get a. I'm sure you can get a hundred. Yeah, and I, I yeah, like you said, you know, just shopping books is is such an important aspect for for a week like this because they're all over the map. But but yeah, Luke Luke List was one that that kind of jumped out to me as well. I'm with you. And the thing about Luke List is. You know, there's such a, there's a difference. There's a mistake that people make between like bad putters and volatile putters. Like Colin Morikawa, Colin Morikawa is not a bad putter. Colin Morikawa is a volatile putter, which means when it gets bad, it gets really bad. But he can also gain like four strokes putting as well. There's a difference between guys like that and like I think Doug Gim and Sergio Garcia are bad putters. And what that is is like they either lose a lot of strokes putting or they 
gain one stroke putting is a good week for them or are around zero when it's a good week for them. But Luke list actually falls more into that volatile category where, you know, he has looking at it now, he's lost over three strokes putting in six of his last eight starts, but in the starts that he does gain strokes putting, he's not, it's not neutral. Like he's actually gaining over two strokes putting. So he either is, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good outright play too, because you know, there's a high miscut percentage based on the fact that he's viable to lose five strokes putting, but you know, he could also win this tournament if he gains over two or three strokes putting. So I like that. I like that as well. There, there are a couple of those guys, man, that I was, I was looking at like, like Russell Knox too. a lot of these guys that are really good ball strikers. My issue, my issue that, you know, causes hesitation for me and has me looking more towards guys like Snedeker and, and a CT pan was another guy that I had some interest in is like, if these guys are going to hemorrhage strokes on the green at colonial, are they really going to figure it out on Congaree? Like that, that's the issue I have. And, you know, I, I've read all these articles from all of these non-professional golfers where they're like, the greens are the biggest defense. They're so undulating. They're so fast and difficult. And, you know, there's kind of two schools of thought with that is you can look at it like, okay, these greens are absolutely brutal. And you can also look at it like, these are just regular guys that think these greens are brutal. Like, how much weight do we really want to put into articles written by regular golfers? Um, are, are, can we say definitively that pros are going to struggle on these greens? Like, I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's, that's part of what, um, you know, kind of going back to, to holding some, putting some bullets in the holster for, for mid round is really kind of seeing and, and understanding, you know, seeing 18 holes from, from the entire field and seeing kind of how the course plays. Um, that's, that's what makes me lean on, you know, where, where can I lean that I'm confident that a guy, you know, like Luke List. I know the ball striking is going to be there. So, so let's see if he can find something else to put himself in, in contention this week. But it also, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Snedeker. Tell me, give me, give me some, some thoughts there. Give me some background there. Cause the guy kind of that I, I put in kind of a similar mold um, that I've been looking at and you mentioned briefly was Poulter. Yeah. Um, just with the, the around the green aspect, the ability to play, you know, on, on really any course setup and because of the way that, that he can do things on and around the greens, he can put himself in contention. I imagine that's kind of your, your mindset at a little bigger number for Seneker. Yeah. My, here's my logic for Snedeker is this, is that I think people are going to count him out because he's not long. And I just think that that would be a mistake. I I said the exact same thing about the ocean course, but you're out of your mind. If you think this course is actually going to play 7,600 yards, they're going to move the tee boxes all over the place. And it's going to be one of the firmest and fastest tests that they've seen all season. Look, I think Snedeker can be here. I think he can navigate these tricky undulating putting surfaces really well. You know, he he'll be able to putt from anywhere here. He's good out of the sand. He's the king of champion Bermuda. He's literally never lost strokes putting at the Wyndham in his entire career. He's played it like nine times. He's won that event. He loves these surfaces. He's weirdly number one in this field over his last 36 rounds in strokes game par five, which was absolutely shocking to me. I I guess that's probably because he has such a good short game and his long irons aren't really as bad as you would think. So he probably makes a lot of birdies on these par fives. 
maybe I'm putting a little too much weight into the course comp thing, but I mean, he finished ninth in 2014 at Pinehurst at the U S open. Um, and Poulter played well there too. Poulter finished like 17th Brooks actually before Brooks was even good finished fourth at the 2014 U S open at Pinehurst and Matthew Fitzpatrick as like a 15 year old kid finished 48th. So that, that was interesting to me as well, but yeah, Snedeker finished ninth at Pinehurst that course, that course in 2014, I was there. I went to that tournament when I was a college student at Duke down the road. I mean, it, it it was playing over 7,400 yards that week. I remember it really clearly. Keimer won by like eight strokes and you know, Snedeker was never really in the mix. No one was, but I think that he can compete here. I think he's good, you know, and a, a lot of it has to do with like, when there's a when there's a course like this, Chris, and I can't say definitively that my projection of this course is going to be correct. Like I right. could be I could be completely wrong. And so what I like doing sometimes is I like pairing guys like Vegas and Snedeker together because I feel like I have all my bases covered. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Yeah, and that's that's how I'm laying out um, some of my betting card as I get into kind of the DFS aspect, and I don't know how much you do, Andy, but like I'm getting there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually like to do the opposite a little bit in, in DFS where you can build some lineups um, that are, you know, six bombers or, you know, six guys that really specialize around the green or, or something like that. Um, so that you kind of cover the bases. If, if this turns into a, a chip and putt, um, where you you've got six guys that are kind of lined up and and have all have that exact skill set kind of across the board. That that's something I like to do from DS, DFS standpoint, especially for these tournaments where where we're just kind of taking an educated guess on how it's going to play. Do you have any more guys in? Now let's kind of open it up to one hundred plus. Are yeah. there any? Are there any guys? above 100. I know when I sent you the outline, I didn't write all these guys out because it gets, it gets pretty dark down here, but any of these guys that have your attention, not even necessarily for outrights, but you know, finishing position, DFS, anything. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are a bunch of names that I probably will take some stabs at from, you know, top 40, top 20 type of standpoint. The one that, that stood out for me um, it is really highly ranked and I, I don't really have an answer for it yet. It's Hank Leviota. Oh, me but, too, um, man. I, I'm, yeah. I'm still You're trying on- to figure out how he's sitting in the top 10 of my model, but, you know, and, and looking a little bit closer, you know, he's reeled off back to back rounds at Wells Fargo and Byron Nelson. He had 6.2 and 4.1 strokes gained on approach. That'll, second, that'll certainly- and, second and third best iron weeks of his entire career. I, I, yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean that that those are the types of names where you just kind of see, hey, let's let's take a shot, see if he can keep it going. If he found something um, and and can keep it rolling, he's worth a, a top twenty in this type of field. Um, and and you shop around, you know, and and once the numbers come out, probably tomorrow morning, the top fives, top tens, top twenties, we're going to see the same variance that we've seen on a lot of these outrights in those markets. Um, so he's, he's a name that jumped out to me. I've got a soft spot for some reason for, for Chris Ventura and I can't really explain it. Um, but this is, this is the type of course where I feel like he can take advantage with, with length off, off the tee. He's a great putter. 
300 to one. I, I just feel like these are, you know, and, and I can go down the list, you know, your Will Gordons of the world, the the guys that are coming out of, of college, Davis Thompson, John Pack, you know, all of those guys are going to be names that are going to have some interest because this is the type of field where you see those names kind of finally put themselves in contention, finally put a, a full week together where their, their potential that they've shown in their career can, can stand out. And the only other name that I'll I'll say that I came across today that I was a little surprised at was Kevin Chappell. He's another long player off the tee. We know he has the talent. Um, he's been there in majors. He had uh, what was it? Was it back injury? I believe um, something like that. Yeah, he had a he had a injury. he did have a medical thing. I just yeah, don't he remember had he had a medical thing that has has set him back. He just got back. Uh, was on on Corn Ferry Tour. Posted a top fifteen. That to me, this this type of week, that's some form that I can lean on for a guy that I know is talented. Um, and I'll I'll throw a dart and see, you know, if he can top 20, throw him in a DFS lineup or two and and see if he, you know, like I said earlier, just see if they find found something, um, something that you can kind of point at and say, you know, if they can hold on to this, I know they can put their name kind of towards, you know, at least the middle of the list, make a cut and and see what happens on the weekend. I'll I'll add this on Ventura too. So the Oklahoma State Golf Course, I my roommate here in Los Angeles is from Oklahoma and last summer we went on a golf trip back to Oklahoma and played a bunch of courses out there and one of the courses that we played was the Oklahoma State Golf Course where, you know, Hovland and Ricky and Ventura and all of those guys uh played every day. It's a 7500-yard firm and fast Tom Fazio course. Nice. So, I mean, again, like whatever, but yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it don't live and die by this stuff, but it's fun. Right. Yeah. And, and take something that, uh, that at least you can explain to yourself why, why you're taking it and, uh, then, then see how it plays out. What, what do you have in this range? What are you, anybody so, sticking out? So Lebiota too, you know, like a lot of the guys that I, like, I bet like Ben Martin at a hundred, I'm going to play him as a finishing position as well. I tend to, the way that I usually do it, Chris, is I usually pick like six outright guys and all of the outright guys that are above 50 to one, I'll throw a finishing position on them too. I kind of like yeah. to, I, I like to keep it, man. Is I went through a phase earlier on where I was rolling into these weeks and I'd have the PGA Tour leaderboard app open and I'd have 25 guys starred and like, it just wasn't even enjoyable. Uh, so what I try and do is I try and like the six guys that I really like, I, I kind of go all in on them and I, and I hedge myself that, you know, if they're gonna, you know, even if they don't win, I still kind of need them to play well. And then what I'll typically do is I'll typically add like between two and four top 40 guys that I just, they just kind of missed my outright card, but I'm going to, place a bet in. So I usually have around like 10 guys that I have starred that I really need to play well. Lebiota is definitely going to be one of those guys. I gave Duff Daddy a hard look. Like he's having a little bit of a ball striking renaissance right now. He's gained yeah. over 3.8 strokes on approach in three of his last five starts. He gained seven at the Wells Fargo. The problem with Duffner, it's it's the same criticism I kind of have of in, in the Luke List conversation. It's like, you know, if he's losing 7.8 strokes putting at the Valspar, is he going to figure it out here? So I'm a little squeamish with Duffner. I gave Bronson Burgoon 
a little bit of a luck. Uh, Chapel, Chapel, you're, you're on Chapel weirdly is number one in strokes gained ball striking on courses over 7,400 yards. Like he's above Brooks and I haven't done a deep dive to figure out what a lot of those numbers are coming from, but he popped out to me too. In that sense, I think the only other guy that I really like that we didn't talk about that I'm definitely going to have some exposure to is CT pan. And CT Pan, he went two and one in the 2019 President's Cup at Royal Melbourne. Both of those wins were with Hideki. So it's possible that Hideki carried that team. But I mean, him and Hideki beat Patrick Reed and Webb Simpson twice. And one of the times they dominated them. He has a really, really good short game, which is probably why he played so well at Royal Melbourne. He's 20th around the green, 30th in sand saves, finished second at the Wyndham on champion Bermuda, 12th at Sanderson Farms on champion Bermuda. And he's just one of those guys that's trending. Like he ranks 45th in my model over the last 36, but you shrink the sample size a little bit to last 24 and he, he shoots up to 25th and then you shrink it to 12 and he shoots up to 18th. So I think he's kind of just playing a little bit better, but I mean, that's kind of it for me, man. I'm kind of like you. I think that if there's any more moves to be made, I'm not going to force it. And I'm just going to see if anyone catches my attention during the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm with you and I I've got Satoshi up, up shorter there too. Uh, I think he's 13th for me over the past couple of months, uh, which is what I'm looking at. The The only other guy that um, I guess I can't believe he's listed at 75 to one. I ever looked at uh, was Whaley. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's, he's playing so well. Yeah, yeah of course. He's, he's just done. He's just made such a run um, over the past several tournaments that seventy uh, five is too short. But he he's a guy from you know a, a top twenty standpoint that you know you just kind of keep keep riding him till till there's there's a reason not to um, when guys are playing this well. So yeah, I I like it. You know, it's 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 just a week where there's gonna be a lot of darts and and trying to find the the right mix and and hopefully you know hitting on the key parts of the layout are, are going to be you know what can make or break the week yeah i'm totally with you on whaley like i know that he's going he's going to be obviously super popular in draftkings because he was the really chalky 6k guy right. and he actually delivered right. so why would why would people not want to go back to him he i think he's made eight consecutive cuts but like from a non-ownership standpoint where that stuff doesn't matter, like just play the guy in the top 40 market or like the top 30 market. Yeah. He's, ca- yeah. he's cashing those tickets every week and he's actually been getting a little bit better on approach too. So I'm, to- I'm totally with you on that, man. Let's do a little bit of a recap. So for me, the guys that the, the guys that I'm going with is I've bet Sungjae at 20 Varner at 50 I haven't pulled the trigger yet on Snedeker, Vegas, or Pan, but those are probably going to be my guys. I see a, I see a 60 on Snedeker, a 75 on Vegas, and a 75 on Pan. And then I'm going to probably wrap it up with a 100 on Martin, and that's that's going to do it for outrights for me. And then I'll probably have some exposure to like a Lebiota or a Whaley. I don't know, maybe maybe a Burgoon, maybe a Pat Perez in the finishing position market, but that'll do it for me, man. What about you? 
Yeah, I'm I'm in um, on Keith Mitchell and at 50 um, and Patton Kazire at 45. Those are my my only two bets right now. I'm evaluating, you know, if I want to go anywhere up top. If I do, it'll be Hatton, but I think I'd have to see some drift there. Yeah. And then, yeah, similar to you, as as I get down to the bottom, I'm probably going to get there on HV3. I think if I got to the end of the week and and he's even there on Sunday and he's number one in my model and I decided to pass, I'd just be kicking myself. Um, so that, that's kind of one of those FOMO. Uh, I don't necessarily uh, fully buy into to him winning it, but at the number and, and what I'm seeing, it makes sense. I think I'll probably get there on Redmond and then I'm going to kind of just, just sprinkle the, um, the top 20, top 40 markets uh, down below. Uh, I'll get there and, and do chapel for me. The, the talent outweighs it. I'll definitely do Ventura just because he's, he's a guy that I've, I've believed in for a while. And I think I saw 300 on him earlier today. Um, so it doesn't take much just to, to take a chance. This is a week that he puts it together. So that's that's where I am today, Chris. I really appreciate you joining me, man. Where can uh, where can everyone find your work? Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you having me on on Twitter. I'm at cs underscore murph. I write for Action Network. Do do three articles during the week for them um, with the strokes game stuff, and then uh, also Fantasy Labs doing the course preview and a and a DFS GPP article for them. So those those three networks you can get me. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. This is fun, man. You're welcome on anytime. Awesome. I'd love to come back. All right. That's it for the show, guys. I will see you guys next week for the U.S. Open, which I will be attending in person at Torrey Pines. Cannot wait for that. I usually rev up the content for majors, and this one is no different. So on my Sunday first look preview show, it's not going to be solo next week. I'm actually having a special guest on. Not going to tell you who it is now, but I'm really excited for it. I think you're really going to enjoy that episode. Until then, good luck with your bets. Later. Later.